The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Thank you for this time where we can gather as a family and we can praise you and worship you, Lord. Thank you for this time together. Lord, I pray for our hearts to be open, our ears to be open. Humble us, Lord, and take away all distractions that we may hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Janie. All right. Good morning, everybody. How are you? Um, I just want to say welcome this morning. If I haven't met you, my name is Randall, uh, Pastor of Grace City. And uh, this morning, I, I just wanted to start out with this because I think it's, it's super important. So I went to a conference this week. The whole theme of the conference is gospel culture. And the idea was that we can preach the gospel, but in churches... We don't really, like, live out the gospel. It's not much of a gospel culture. Uh, because when we think about what is the gospel, it's the good news, right? And, and the good news is what Jesus Christ has done for us, and that should transform the way that we live. Um, so I just wanted to say this at the beginning. Um, my hope and prayer is that as you come in, so if you're new today, um, that you experience uh, inviting a gospel culture. And uh, just like this song, so I'm going to ask real quick, the, if you could just put up the, the words of the last song when, when uh, it says that all weary, I can't remember words unless it's right in front of me, you know what I mean? <laughs> like um, All helpless, all secure, all hopeful and all broken, all thankless and all poor, all peaceful and all violent, all fearless, all afraid, all angry, all rejoicing, all doubting, all assured, all joyful, and all mourning. If you can see yourself in any of these, because I I can see myself in there too, I just want you to say welcome. just want to say welcome this morning. You know, we're going to come together, and, and the hope is that as we go through God's word every week, that you don't have this treadmill or this backpack, you know, that you just feel like you got to keep running or you got to get this backpacking and just gets more bricks put in your backpack saying, run harder, run faster. But when we come to the word of God, we see that there was something that was done for us that transformed our lives significantly for the rest of our lives. Right, this is a place where you can, thank you, God. Thank you, God. If I find myself in any of those places, which, yes, yes, that there's freedom and hope in the the message of Jesus Christ, the living word, Jesus Christ. And so we're in the book of Philippians right now. And our text is Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. And what we've seen is the, the Apostle Paul is writing this, this letter to the Philippian church, which he had been a part of helping to plant 10 years before. But it wasn't even in his plans that he would be in Philippi. He had other plans. He wanted to go to Asia, but he ended up right there with the people in Philippi. And God does this amazing work where he transforms people's lives. And this church forms. God saves this lady named Lydia. It says that the Holy Spirit opened her heart. 
And then we see that there was a girl who was in a, being uh, used and abused to get saved by God. That's what she knew her whole life. But God saves her out of the abuse and into the church. And then we get uh, the, the Philippian jailer who wasn't expecting at all to be saved, but God saves him radically. And so we have this church that starts to form. But this church, just like any church, is not a perfect church. It's a church that needs to grow. It needs, it needs the grace of God. It needs transformation to happen in their lives. And so the message for today, as we look at this text, is working out, working in. Working out, working in. There are some things that need to be worked out of the people here in their lives so that something better could be worked into their lives. Right? There's, a, there's a pattern of the world that they're used to and, and a way of living that they're used to, but now it's, it's working in the power of God into their lives, the transforming power of Jesus Christ into their hearts. There's this phrase, see it all over social media right now. Um, I think it's kind of funny. It says, uh, I was today years old when I learned this thing. And so I have some of those that I thought were kind of funny um, or interesting. And so I thought this was interesting because it applies to us. Uh, this guy, Jay Walker, says, I was today years old when I found out California has a bigger population than Canada. <laughs> That's different. But I'll get to this. I'll get to this. Hold that there. <laughs> um, there's another one. Uh, at Jack McDougal. He says, I was today years old when I found out that Chuck E. Cheese's full name is Charles Entertainment Cheese. All right. Then we got this one. I was today years old when I found out the size of juice boxes are for kids to hold it so they don't squeeze out the juice. Wow, okay, so you got the wings there coming out. They can hold on to that so they don't squeeze the juice. That, that's helpful. Uh, this next one. I was today years old when I realized this. I may never be the same. Stressed is just dessert spelled backwards. Wow. Never thought about that. See, there is something to this that's, that's funny, right? You think about, uh, I was today years old when this happened, but there is something that's a truth to it that we need to take away. What this reminds us of is that we are never too old to learn something new. Never too old to learn something new. Teachability is a good thing. And in the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul has just encouraged the church and us through an amazing song, a hymn of what Christ has done for all of us. It's called the kenosis passage, the emptying passage of Jesus just previous to this text in verses 6 through 11. But the question is, is it just that we sing this song, we ponder on what Jesus has done for us, or is there something more? And that's where Paul continues. It's, it's what's next. Well, he reminds us that we haven't arrived. There are still things that need to be worked out and worked into our lives. We can know the song, but has the song impacted us so deeply that we start to live like Jesus? See, this is Christian growth. In the book, The Christ of the Indian Road, E. Stanley Jones, who's a missionary, a Christian missionary, well-known, asked his friend Mahatma Gandhi about his thoughts on Christians, and specifically about Christians telling people that don't know Jesus about Jesus. And Gandhi's response was this. I would suggest, first of all, that all of you Christians, missionaries, all begin to live more like Jesus. More like Jesus. Jones started to think about that. And he said this. He says he hadn't have said anything. He, he needn't say anything more. 
that was quite enough. He says this, he says, he could feel that the people that didn't know Christ were saying to him, if you will come to us in the spirit of your master, we won't be able to resist. The spirit of the master, of Christ. And so let me ask, are there things in our lives that are being worked out but also worked in because of Jesus Christ? Is there real transformation and growth happening in our lives? Are you becoming more like him every day? Or are we stuck? Are we stuck? Well, our text again is Philippians 2, 12 through 18. And in this verse, we can see that there's a church that's struggling. They haven't arrived. They have issues. They have problems. But Paul is reminding of some beautiful things that God is doing in their lives. And um, in verses, uh, uh, Tony Morita says this about verses 12 through 13 before we jump in. He says, verses 12 through 13 provide us with a wonderful starting point for understanding what we call in theology sanctification. That is the lifelong obedience of believers which leads us to grow in Christ-likeness. The question isn't just, do I have a sound gospel, biblical theology, but do I look more and more like Jesus? Does my life look like this? And so what does gospel growth look like? Well, in these passages here, I'm going to break it down in three ways from the text. Um, But it comes through, number one, receptiveness. Number two, reassurance. Number three, reorientation. Receptiveness, reassurance, reorientation. So the first one is receptiveness. Look at uh, verse 12. It says, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So he starts out with this word, therefore. Now, if you ever read in the Bible, therefore, you always ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Okay, and so you say, okay, you don't just start with the therefore, but there is something that happened before this passage. That's why it's important for us to read things in context, right? People like to, ah, I like to pick and choose which passages I'm going to use. And so if you read this passage outside of the therefore, you could think, oh my, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I got to work for my salvation. But you got to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? See, this is the gospel connection. See, the centrality of the hymn before Christ, these previous verses, was about Jesus' obedience even to death on a cross. The Son of God's obedience. Why is it pointing us to the obedience of Jesus? Because you and I, within ourselves, are disobedient. Many times we're discouraged because of how disobedient we can get. And so when we think about our obedience, we have to first think of Jesus' obedience for us. And so Paul is pointing back to this because that's good news. Because when we think about the cross and what Jesus has done for us, why is it that you and I can say that I'm a Christian or you are a Christian? It's because when Jesus was on the cross, what are are the words he said? It is finished. It is finished. You know, Buddha's last words, paraphrase, it sounded a lot like this. Work on your salvation. Work it out. 
Work it out on your own salvation. What, what's Jesus's, what's the difference? Jesus is saying, it is finished. It has been worked out. It has been worked out. See, the centrality of the message of Christianity is that Christ has done it. So, as he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, as you've always obeyed, the Greek word here means to obey, but also to listen. Um, if you were to get a visual of what this word means, um, it basically means um, of one who is knocking at the door and you come and start to listen to the knocking. It's your listening that there's a knocking that's happening and you are responding to the knocking. What's the thing that frustrates my wife more than anything? When somebody is at the door and my kids are sitting there watching TV and it's mostly usually her or I that are standing at the door and we're like, guys, can you let us in? Can you let us in? Dazed out. Oh, I didn't hear you. What? We were yelling through the screen. Like you could hear us. We were, you were right there. I'm right here. Like you could hear us. This word for obedience is that you can hear it and you're taking action to follow through. I got a set of sermons this week from a friend in our church here and I found this quote very helpful from one of the sermons he sent me. It's from a man named Earl F. Palmer. Here's what it says. He says, it's interesting that the word translated obey in Hebrew is identical it's also the word for listen. It's the great Hebrew word shema. And in Deuteronomy 5, we have a sentence that begins the sacred service in the synagogue. Hear, O Israel, there is one God you will worship, one God and no other gods before you. The opening of the Ten Commandments with shema. The shema in Hebrew means hear or listen. And that is the word for obey. Listen, in fact, parents, when Paul tells our sons and daughters, children, obey your parents, actually he used the same word. So we have this gospel connection in the therefore, but he's also calling them, okay, now it's time to, to listen up. Church, listen up. Ears open, ready to receive something. He says, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. What's he saying? That even though he's not there presently, God is there. And it's not ultimately about Paul's presence. It's about God's presence. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See, there is an emph emphasis here on being receptive to hearing and not shutting our ears, but listening. 1 Thessalonians 4.1 says, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord to do this more and more. It's a continual thing, right? Continual growth. There was a study that was done. I was reading about it in this book. It was uh, about how, and this has helped me a lot as a parent, but it, it was talking about how little kids they just ask so many questions. So like if some of you held out in the kids' ministry, they're asking you like tons of questions, right? And you're like, uh, whoa, like your head's spinning with how many questions you're getting. Well, he said once a child gets to about middle school age, they stop asking questions and they feel like they have to have all the answers. And some of you got teenagers, you're like, oh, so that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> right, like, oh, something happened. Like, there was a switch, and I feel it, right? And so you feel it, and you're like, something happened there. But the question for me is thinking, why did Jesus say, be like little children? 
Be like a child. Come to me like a child and you will understand the kingdom of God. It's because at some point, we felt like we had to have all the answers. And we stopped asking God. And we stopped trusting God. And so there's some more and more that needs to happen in our life. And so he says, work out your own salvation. Now, Tony Marita makes some distinction. I think this is great. He says, this passage is not about works-based righteousness. Paul does not say, work for your own salvation. We can't earn our own salvation. Paul says, work out your salvation. It's a huge difference. God has worked salvation for us. Christ has done the work on the cross. Sanctification is about living in light of this gracious salvation. Living in light of it. Right? It's it's living in light of what God has done for us. Okay, now there's transformation that happens. But it's not just about us personally. Because that's what we can read it as. Okay, well, it's just me individually. Because, hey, man, we're, we're Western folks. We think about ourselves all the time, man. Like, that's, that's what we, we think individually, the first thing. But this text is about the corporate community. See, because salvation isn't just me and Jesus, but it's ultimately about us. And in the context of community, another commentator said this, and I think this has been helpful too. He says, R.P. Martin, he says, the true exegesis must begin with a definition of salvation, not in personal terms, but in regard to the personal life of the Philippian church. The readers are being encouraged to concentrate upon reforming their church life, working at this matter until the spiritual life of the community, diseased by strife and bad feeling, is restored. Is restored. I told you, this is not a perfect church. Last week, as we were looking at this text that Paul is encouraging the Philippian church, he's saying, okay, like, have this in mind amongst yourselves. Don't, don't do things out of just your own interest, but also think of the interests of others. Like, that was because there were problems with people just thinking about themselves. And so as the church, leaning in, not being afraid of one another, and saying, hey, I need sharpening. I remember one illustration that a friend gave after a sermon. He basically gave this, uh, this card. And on the card was a green light. Like, you know, like driving green light. And he says, do you have somebody in your life that you can hand this to and say, you have the green light to speak into my life, to help me to grow in my relationship with Jesus? And for many, we say, I don't know. Do I have somebody that I can trust enough to say, like, hey, can you speak into my life? Can you encourage me? Can you help me? Because this verse is saying, don't work out your own salvation on your own, but work it out within the church body with brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? It's we're all growing together as a community of of people who've been redeemed by Jesus. And lastly, it says, with fear and trembling. See, this is, again is a call for humility. How do we approach our salvation? How do we approach others? Right? There's like a reverence to this. And I think in many ways, we've forgotten that. We've forgotten that there is a reverence to this. That when Isaiah meets the living God, he falls flat on his face and says, um, I am a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. And what he's saying is that basically if, if he was known as an orator, he was known as somebody who was great speaker and communicator, potentially could have had a political career, had connections, basically falls before the living God and says, um, the thing that I thought was the most valuable thing in my life, that I've added the most value to the world is nothing before you. I am unclean. There was a reverence as he falls before God. Right, and so there is like, Something that we can come together and say, you know what, do I have a receptiveness to what God wants to do in my life? It's not just going to be me and Jesus' time, but it's going to be in the corporate group of, of people that love God. Second, there's a reassurance. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, what does this reassurance that Paul is talking about look like? Well, there's a few things here. First, it's a reassurance that God is working. God is working. Have you ever felt like, God, are you still there? Are you still working? Have you forgotten about me? Some of us just need to hear sometimes like, yeah, things seem a little messy right now and your life is really difficult and, and, and you're struggling personally, but God's still there. He hasn't given up on you. Where do we get that from? From the Bible. But it's easy to think, oh, he's given up on me. He's forgotten me. But what this says is, for it is God who works. God is working. Where? Where does he work? Well, it says in you. In you. See, for many of us, we fall into the the trap of believing or being convinced that the greatest problems that we have are external problems. All the problems in the world are out there. That's where the real issues are. That's what makes my life so hard. It's all out there. But what the Bible tells us is that our greatest problems are internal. They're internal things. Struggles, strife, sin. Why do I have this tension in me that feels like I can't explain it, the guilt, the shame, all of these things that I I wake up with? What, What is that? It says that your greatest challenge is not outside of you but it's within you and that God is working in you see the Bible tells us that our greatest problems have been taken care of by Jesus Christ sin death taken care of by Christ And so now that the work is happening, the surgery is happening in us. Why? So that we can become more like Jesus. What was Jesus' critique of the Pharisees? Was it on the outside? See, all the people thought that the Pharisees had it all together because it said, and what did Jesus say to them? He says, you whitewashed tombs. Tombs. You look clean on the outside, but you were dead on the inside. You don't want God to work in you. You just want to act like God is working on the outside and you got all your behavior together. See, for that, that's what's called behavior modification. I can fix my behavior for a little while, but is that going to be the thing that's going to change me or transform me? No. I've heard it said before, you can jerry-rig the heart for a little while, but you know what? That always breaks down. See, God came to give us a new heart and transform us from the inside. And what does it tell us next? That God will finish his good work. He says, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians 2, 6, remember what it said? Wait, that's not 2, 6, that's 1, 6. Sorry, that's 1, 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Lastly, there's a reorientation. Look at verses 14 through 16. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Lastly, Paul is reorienting the church back towards the way of Jesus. Back towards the way of Jesus. First, he points out 
really, when we live with this internal thing that needs to be worked out, he's saying, here's the thing that needs to be worked out specifically within you, Philippians. Grumbling or disputing. Grumbling or disputing. Now, on the surface, you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? But, um, I, yeah, I, I, I understand grumbling, but what does it mean? Well, this word for grumbling is murmuring or secret displeasure. Murmuring or secret displeasure. And so this murmuring can happen when, I don't know about you, but do you talk to yourself? (laughs) I'm just going to confess to you. At times I talk to myself. Sometimes the things I talk to myself about is more grumbling than anything. Murmurs. Right? There's something that's happening in you where it's like, Jesus says, like, you can know from your words what's in your heart. And so are we paying attention to our words? Because our words really reflect what's going on in our hearts. And Jesus is after our hearts. But the murmuring secret displeasure. Are you more wired to be somebody who doesn't like conflict? But I am really upset inside. And I'm not telling anybody about it. But I have a secret displeasure in my heart right now that I am fostering. I'm bitter about something, but I'm not willing to talk about it with anybody. You know, a part of the solution is to pray your grumbles, right? Pray them. But also, what's the heart of this grumbling and disputing? Because the other one is arguing. It's basically this spirit of like just questioning everything. Do we question things without trying to find the answers or the solutions? You can ask a bunch of questions, but does that mean that you're actually trying to find the solution? Trying to work towards a solution. Is the problem really a problem to be solved or is it a problem to be grumbled and argued about? (laughs) Right, because we can very quickly fall into that and the church can very quickly fall into that. And Paul is saying, don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into that spirit of, of not really looking for solutions, not really looking to help others, but just looking to build a case. We have to be reoriented to the ways of Jesus. Because you know what the Pharisees were doing? Their only solution was to kill Jesus. That was the only thing that they were arguing about was to catch him so that they could kill him. And that same spirit can creep into any of our hearts. I'm not talking about just church. It could be a Yelp review, a Google review. I don't want to help that company or those people find a solution. I just want to make sure that people know they're terrible. Had a really bad experience here, and so I'm going to tell the whole world about it. You know what I mean? Like, I had a hotel I stayed at one time. I'm telling you, it had bed bugs. It had bed bugs. And I went to the front, and I'm like, dude, there are bed bugs in here. He's like, no, they're not. We don't have bed bugs at this hotel. I said, dude, yes, you do. I just went in there. It was me, my wife, my baby. We're like, I'm like, I'm not staying in there. And he's like, oh, come on. There's no bed bugs in there. I said, dude, there are bed bugs. And so we're like going back and forth. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm going to go catch one. <laughs> and so I went in there. I was like, give me a cup, dude. And then I went in there. And I literally caught, I said, dude, this is a bed bug right here. And I like put, he's like, oh, okay. Uh, I just put you in this other room over here. And I remember I was like, dude. I got to write a review. Like, I don't want people to go to this place and get bed bugs. It'd be terrible. I wrote a review, one-star review. I'm sorry, I was pa- pastor wrote a one-star. Yes, he did. But it was with a purpose because they called me up and they're like, hey, I'm sorry. They're like, we'll give you confidence. I said, I don't want any of that. I just want to make sure that people aren't going into that, those type of rooms again and that you guys are shutting those down so that people don't go there. 
and I will take the review off. He's like, you got it. I said, okay, I'm taking it off. I'm not there to just be like, hey, look at how terrible they No, like fix the thing, fix the problem, right? Don't, don't let people walk in there unknowingly. Like that's what he's telling the, the spirit of this church should be like. Are you there to, to solve problems and help one another out and have that spirit or are you just there compl- complaining and grumbling and disputing and arguing? See, what does God's word say about Jesus? And so though, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in human likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus saw the problem of the world, our sin. Why is there problems in the world right now? Because we're at the center of it. And Jesus says, you know what? You don't need, that's not the solution. And so the Son of God came selfless, emptying himself for us and said, I'll be the answer. I'll be the solution to your biggest problem. Even if that means me being spit on, being mocked, being looked down upon, I'll be the answer to your biggest problem. And Jesus, to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, as we think about this verse, we think that the the reorientation that Jesus is talking about here is not to distance ourselves from the world and say, oh, they're bad. No, he's saying engage, jump in, and live the life that I lived, emptying yourself for the sake of others. Different orientation. The only way that's possible is if you have God working in you. You know, the thing I love is that Jesus doesn't say, hey, um, you saw how I lived. You can read about me in the New Testament. Now go figure it out. What's he say at the end of the book of Matthew? I will be with you always to the very end of the age. You say, I can't do it. Yep, you're right. (laughs) But he can do it through you. That's a different orientation. That's going to take a lot of, Lord, I can't, but you can, orientation. See, because verse 15 says, be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The only way that you can do that is when you know that you are a child of God, (laughs) a son of God, Daughter of the king. Children of God. And that when God looks at you, you are without blemish. You're spotless because of what Jesus has done for you. And that's what's going to help you to go out into the world and shine as lights in the world. That's the mission. He's saying this is a complete reorientation and and you might feel like there's no way that's even possible, but that's why you have to trust in the power of God. Verse 16 tells us, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to the word of life. What is the word of life? It's the words of God. It's the words of Jesus breaking through into our lives in areas where we say, you know what, I I just don't feel comfortable with that God, but he breaks in anyway and he says, it's for your good because I love you. I love you. A loving God sharing with us words of life. Hebrews 3.13 says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That can happen. You feel you just get hardened in this world, maybe less compassionate, less attuned, just critical, cynical, there's no way that this could ever change type of feeling. It's the deceitfulness of sin that hardens our hearts. 
I love this quote from Paul Tripp. He says, there is not a day in any of our lives that we don't need the ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring God's word to us in convicting, grief-producing, and confession-resulting power. We require the convicting combination of the word and spirit in handling our money, stewarding our time, caring for our bodies, using our minds, living in our relationships, and doing our daily work. The Holy Spirit will continue to convict us in our sin until sin is no more. And the tool he uses is the Bible. Be thankful that your Bible is the world's most powerful, penetrating, and accurate mirror. The constant confrontation of this mirror is one of God's most loving and gracious gifts to you, to us. <laughs> to us. And so how can we grow? Here's some takeaways just as we wrap up. The first one is this. How receptive are you to learn? To know whether you are really receptive, here's some questions that might help. Do I listen to other people's ideas? Do I listen more than I talk? Am I open to changing my opinion based on new information? Do I re readily admit when I am wrong? Do I observe before acting on a situation? Do I ask questions? Am I willing to ask a question that will expose my ignorance? Am I open to doing things in a way I haven't done before? Am I willing to ask for directions? Do I ask, act defensive when criticized or do I listen openly for truth? Um, if, if you're like, I don't know, I, I kind of pass all of those. Ask a friend, okay? <laughs> ask a friend, like, what do you think about this? Do you think, be helpful. C.S. Lewis said, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. Second is, how much do you lean upon gospel reassurance? Gospel reassurance. Do you feel like God's got you on a treadmill? Do you question God and say, God, why have you... Put all this on my shoulders. That might be a sign that you're, you've, you've fallen into the trap, and we all do, of gospel amnesia. We just forget the gospel. We forget what he's done. We forget that he has grace for us today and that it's his mercy that lifts us up. See, the gospel that's been said before is not the ABCs. It's the A through Z of life. We need it every day. How do we stay humble? It's when... I know I need the gospel just as much as anyone. When I'm preaching this to myself, saying, man, thank you, God. I love it when the apostle Paul includes himself in these things and says that, you know, he's struggling with it too. He needs the gospel just as much as anyone. And so, how much do I lean upon gospel reassurance? That God loves me today and I know this for a fact because of everything that Jesus has done for me. And he looks at me and says, your daughter, your son. Gospel reassurance. Last one is, how are you seeing God reorient you toward his ways? How are you seeing God reorient you toward his ways? I was uh, listening to a pastor this week and uh, I've talked with him before. He's a great guy. And he was talking, he's like, you know, one of the things he's like that I, I realized was like when I was preaching, I was talking about all the things I was struggling with. And then the church is probably looking at me like, man, this guy's got a lot of issues, right? Like, <laughs> what's this guy's problem? You know, does, does God change anything in his life, right? <laughs> like that type of thing. And so he was just talking about that. And I think the, the thing is like we have to remember is that God is, is changing you. It's not like I'm going to get stuck in this pattern for the rest of my life, this sin pattern, whatever it might be, but that God is, is reorienting my life and strengthening me and making me a new creation, a new person. And so the, the question, I guess, for you to think about is this, like, okay, if you were to think about a year ago, are you better by the grace of God from where you were a year ago? Because growth is very much incremental. 
And I had a friend just come in town recently, and he was talk- we were just talking. It was like the, the, the thing with your kids is you can't see them growing. It's only when other people outside of you come in, they're like, man, wow, they're really grown. You know, they've gotten a lot taller or whatever it might be. And so the same thing is true with you. You're going to look at yourself and you're like, man, I haven't grown at all. But if you're in the grace of God, yeah, you have. Yeah, you have. And you can continue to grow as you trust him. Verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I met a guy named David this week. He said he had his mother live with him. His mom, older age. This guy David said, Mom, you can live with me, but the only thing is that you got to read the Bible for 30 minutes every day. She's like, Okay. He's like, but I want you to read the Bible for 30 minutes every day, but I want you to read the Bible cover to cover. He said his mom has been a Christian longer than he'd been alive, and he's like, she'd never read the Bible from cover to cover. And he said, she took the challenge on, read the Bible, and he said, you wouldn't believe the transformation that happened in her life. He's like, she was like a different person. Like a different person. Maybe some of us, the, the Holy Spirit's knocking and saying, would you take that challenge? Not just to say you did it, but to ask and say, God, would you do that Hebrews 4.12 thing to me and use your word as a mirror to my heart and transform me and allow the Holy Spirit to, to work in ways that I couldn't? Verse 14, 13 said, for it is God who works in you. See, how does this get in you? It's when you truly believe what happened outside of you. That there was a work that happened outside of you that comes into your heart. That Jesus just isn't an idea that when he went to the cross, it was truly for you, for me, for us. And that it's his work that saves me. This is the most important question. How do you know that that's happened? I was talking with Billy this week and we were talking about like just like how he, you know, like how he met Mary and uh, how like I met Laura and he was talking about it and he was talking about when he first met you, Mary, and he said that um, he thought he knew you. He came up to you and he thought he knew you. And he's like, I think I know you. And then you were like, no, I don't know you. <laughs> and from that point, that was where their relationship started eventually, you know, like all this stuff. But like, I was thinking about this. It's a weird thing for me to think about when my wife didn't know me. Like a time where she didn't know me and that I didn't know her. And that at one point I was just some dude. I'm just some guy, just some random guy. You think about that? Like, like that's weird to think about. That there was a time when my wife just thought, yeah, he's just some random guy. That's my wife. I'm her husband. I can't think of a time like that. And can you, do you know Jesus like that? Where you're like, man, I I can't think of a time in my life, what my life would be like without him. What, What my life would be like if I was just some random person to God and Jesus was just some random person to me and I was, yeah. Do you have that in your life? That's the most important question I can ask you today. Because if you don't, then there's not going to be this transformation like that. It starts with that. Is Jesus just some random guy that died 2,000 years ago? Or is he the one that you're saying, man, I can't live without him. I need him every day. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you.
for the way that you work in our heart and our lives. And I just pray that the gospel becomes sweeter and sweeter, that Jesus, your, your love is more known in every day and that we live with that remembrance of what you've done for us, but it's not a distant thing in the, in the past. No, it's a, it's a real thing that made a difference in my life today. And Lord, may the things that need to be worked out of my life, maybe some of the, the, the bad uh, thinking or theology or anything, be replaced with who you truly are in the person and work of Jesus Christ and what that means and how that changes me and us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna give you a minute just to take some time to pray and to talk with God. Where are you at with him? What, what's the, I asked the team this morning, what's the temperature for you on how the gospel's impacting your life? Does it feel like it's near, distant? Where is it at? Take a minute, take some time with the Lord, and I'll be back, and we'll do communion together. All right. Father, I thank you that we can come to you. I just pray that the, the prayers don't stop. Your word says to pray without ceasing. Teach us, Lord, to live like that. Teach us what it means to experience your love and your grace and that good news of the gospel. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.